We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome to episode 234 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Frances Tomas, former Barca columnist on ESPN, The Guardian, and Frances, before we get to talking about Messi's interview with Jody Evole of La Sexta, plus finally discussing the presidential election, I should ask, how was your Christmas? It was awesome. Hola, Cules. Thank you so much. I hope yours were good, too. Um... Merry Christmas, Bon Nadal, Feliz Navidad, and all the other languages that I can't speak. Um, I hope everyone had a great, great time. Yeah, there's Frances, of course, flexing with his languages. But for me, I'm <laughs> pretty happy. I got a nice new jacket from, from the family, so that was nice to see. Very so I'm nice, debuting that. it here on awesome. the video edition. If you're listening in just audio form, you can go over to YouTube and just check out the jacket, then put us back in your ears, and you'll all be good there. Because we have a lot to talk about today. As I said, the presidential elections, I've been putting that off and putting it off for weeks and weeks and weeks. But we're finally going to go over some of that today. But where we begin is with this messy interview. So, Frances, to me, it felt like the main theme would just be messy saying, I know I gave that interview over the summer and I was quite upset. I didn't like Bartomeu, but I'm here to play football at least until the end of the season. And to me, that's all you could really get out of that interview, right? It is, it is. I think that it is the longest interview that Messi has ever given. Um, I am lucky. I know I'm not the only one, you know, in the Barcelona podcast community because we've got a lot of our listeners who speak Spanish as well. 
but um, I understood the whole of the interview from beginning to end in Spanish. So I'm not based this on some translations that happen and some people tweeting and then misquoting whatever. I think that the heart of the interview was that he had a, a very frank conversation with Jordi Evole, who is a, a very respected journalist that was doing Salvados for many, many years. He quit last year. So this is the first interview, one of the very few interviews that he's done since. And uh, so he's a really, really respected person that has never interviewed Messi before. Um, he was quite excited himself. He's a Barca fan himself. And Messi obviously really respected him because he gave him the interview, not, not to anyone else, but to Jordi Evole. So that being said, um, it looked like a chat, a chat between two sort of friends. Obviously, Messi knows his stature. He knows that everything he does, everything he says, every, every way in which he looks differently at something or someone um, is going to have a repercussion throughout the whole of the world. But I thought that it was quite a calm interview. Never really seen Messi like that. Jordi Evole was not asking the key questions straight away, uh, which you will have to do. You have 10 or 15 minutes with him. So throughout the whole hour, Messi was quite relaxed. He talked about, you know, his kids growing up. He talked about the relationship with his wife. He talked about all sorts of things. And then from time to time, whenever he mentioned something, Jordi Evole would throw one of the big questions. Um, so I think that Messi came up like the person that he is, someone who plays football, goes home, gets ready, comes back to play football. And that, that's all that his life is about. I mean, there were many talking points that he generated, but overall, I, and as I said in the summer, I believed him. I think that whatever he said came from the heart. I don't think he's in the business of um, trying to lie to us or trying to bend what the truth is. And this is someone who's been the best player we've ever had. This is someone who is, you know, true to his soul, true to his colors, true to his ideals, and someone who's not making any promises, but clearly loves the club inside out. I think that there is a truthfulness to his words and a sincerity to his words that come through, that certainly come through in any interview he does. And it's this weird, almost contradiction that because he doesn't do those post-game interviews, and we've been critical of him and other of the, the leaders at the club for sending out Pedri and Dest and the younger players for those post-games for the matches that the results didn't go Barca's way. But these are those moments where Messi sits down and says, okay, now I'm choosing to speak. And he's one of those ones that when he speaks, you listen. To me, there were only really three and again there's nothing real headline grabbing and I think you shouldn't make too much of it but the one that I think people are going to try to create a narrative out of and and make conjecture of is the idea that all those compliments to Pep Guardiola who is going to be staying at Man City the connections there basically almost admitting that as much as there's been the PSG buzz with Pochettino this week and all those rumors and all that yada 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 his complimentary nature to Pep as was always going to be expected because we know how good he was under Pep Guardiola. But yet, Pep being at Man City, I'm not saying it's even going to be this year or next year because it all kind of ties together and his timeline moving forward is that if he chooses to be to Man City, he did mention the hint would be that he does want to eventually come to the United States. And obviously, obviously, when he says the United States, my ears always perk up because I do have an air mattress that I'll put out, not for him, but honestly, I'll let him sleep in the bed. My wife and I will sleep on the floor. Well, it'll be nice and roomy here. The reason I say that is because Obviously, if he signed for Man City, he would actually be signing for Citigroup. And Citigroup would mean that he would be with Man City for the first year or two or three years of his time with Citigroup. And then he would most likely come over at the age of whatever he could play in the U.S. until he was 45 if he wanted to. So whether he's 38, 39, he moved to New York City FC right here close to me. And 
that's where he would continue to be, or he can go to Australia, or he could go to even, I don't see why he would go back to Girona, but the point, the point stands that I think the idea of the United States comment was almost dropping a hint that it would be how long it would be until he was willing to sign for Citigroup, when that would be, and then the timeline of being in Man City with Pep, and then we went to the U.S. eventually. But that, I think, depends on a number of factors, including the fact that I think from more than anything else, this interview emphasized that Messi's main issues with Barcelona were with Bartomeu, and that we can't get that wrong. That Messi was, uh, as much as he said that they, the rest of the, the locker room was making fun of Bartomeu and mocked him and said he was, he was very similar to a Catalan cartoon character, <laughs> that Messi was the one that he was upset with Bartomeu, did not like him, he wanted to leave the club, he had been lied to, and he felt hurt. But his allegiance was always with the club. So I think any different president that's elected, sans Rousseau, changes his timeline at Barcelona. If it's Rousseau, which would be a shock, we'll get to that in a minute, then I think Messi would still leave as soon as possible. But if it's any other president, most likely Laporta or Font, that Messi might reevaluate things at the summer. And if they can sell him on the project, you could see him continue to be on the field. I think that's the key point. I think that Messi's interview, I could sum it up by saying that he's not quite sure what he's doing just yet. Um, in my eyes, it was decided last summer that he was going, especially about the fact that you know, he wasn't really allowed to go and he was incredibly annoyed and, uh, and rightly so in his eyes. Um, obviously, whatever I needed to say on the matter, I already said three, four months ago and you can go back and hear that again. Um, but in his eyes, he was right to be allowed to go. Um, he said it yesterday again in the interview. He said that he's spoken to many, many different lawyers, not just his own lawyers, but different firms. And they all said that if he went to court, he would have been allowed to leave in the summer. But he was, again, clear that that's not what he wanted to do. Um, I think that for me, the key take of the interview is that he's not decided just yet what he's going to do. Um, I think that is great news for, for Barca, uh, to be honest. I think all of the candidates have said that they would love to have Messi. I mean, anyone saying any different would just instantly not be voted in. Right. Uh, so that's what they have to say. And, um, you know, we've got another, what, seven, eight months to convince him. Obviously, the outcome of the election is crucial. Um, we'll talk about the candidates in a minute, but I think someone like Font or Laporta would be able to convince him to stay, but obviously depending on what they bring and who they bring with them. It is really important as well for, for me to, to share with, the, with our audience, with our, with our listenership, that Messi is someone who loves Barca inside out, and I really, really doubt that he's going to do anything to hurt anybody. And for the record, Messi didn't say this, this is just me saying I honestly, I'm happy for Messi to leave tomorrow morning. I think he's given the club enough. I think that he doesn't owe us anything. I also think that we've paid him very well throughout the years. We, his contract has been renewed pretty much on a yearly basis, always based on his level. Um, so if you had been a rubbish player, this wouldn't have happened, obviously, but it's not the case. So what I'm trying to say is that I'm perfectly happy for Messi to end when he's finished when he feels that he's finished. Um, I was critical of him in the summer because I don't think that was the right time to go. Um, and I think the, the growth of someone like Pedri, for example, and I think that's the clearest example of the growth of Pedri, of Ansu Fati, um, even Frankie the Young, uh, Serginho, etc. All of the youngsters that he's helping this year, I am more than happy for Messi to go in the summer if that's what he wants to do. If he went, the salaries, uh, the salary, the wages, the economy of the club will be better. Um, but obviously, we're always going to be a better a better team if Messi ends up staying. But for the record, I'm happy for Messi to walk whenever he's ready. Now that he's done the transition year, and obviously, it's very unlikely we win any titles, unfortunately, this year. 
Right. I had a similar feeling, of course, when it comes to Messi that, I mean, so many of the club's financial problems with the wage bill stem from the fact that Messi earns and deserves the money that he makes. But that unfortunately brings everybody else up, not to his level, but it's certainly the rest of the club and all the other players in their negotiations look at how much Messi affects the wage bill, and they then can use that as a negotiation tactic. And that's how things have gotten out of control as far as the wage bill. The other point that you said that I agreed with over the summer was that, and why it's, it just felt unsettling to me to watch him leave over the summer. As much as if that had happened, the club would have had to do what they had to do, and he would have had to do what he had to do. But it always felt unnatural because of the way that the last season ended and the fact of no fans in the stands. And I also thought that point that he made was important to note. We heard weirdly similar things from LeBron James in the bubble down that the NBA had as they finished up the championship and your LA Lakers won the title. But LeBron had said, and it was so weird that you have this great, great player that LeBron and Messi are going to be great no matter who's there. There could be no one on the field or there could be 200,000 people in the stands and they're going to have, they're still going to be LeBron. They're still going to be Messi. But it was funny that LeBron seemed to be one of the players who was complaining the most about how the lack of fans was affecting him, which is odd because Messi has now been another one of those players, one of those superstar players that's still going to be Messi, yet he's saying how much it affects him to not have fans around. And it's an odd thing, but when we talk about the end of Messi at Barcelona, that becomes the important point here, that come May, if due to the pandemic, having a a vaccine that's distributed as they're getting beginning to be distributed in different places. So if that virus is able to be halted to a point where the Camp Nou could have at least 30 to 60,000 people come come May. I mean, who knows? That's a, that's a huge number. But let's say he gets his final swan song in front of fans come the spring. Barca doesn't win any trophies. And he says, this is my time to move on. And he moves on as silly as it is. It's almost a hard line that we say, you know, I, if Artur Turan, I don't care. He could leave in a bus at the middle of the and at two in the morning, and no one's going to say, "Okay, Artur Turan, <laughs> bye bye." But Messi has to leave in the right way, as as neurotic as that is. And I know that not every ending. I mean, I go back to the NBA when I think of the way Hakeem Olajuwon or or Patrick Ewing. When you look at their last jerseys in the NBA, they're not the ones that you think of because they're not the ones that they spent the whole careers with. And Messi can end his career. I would hope that he ends it in a Newell's Old Boys shirt, as he always said that he would. But as far as how he leaves Barcelona, that has to be done in the right way because he also mentioned, probably the final important point from his interview, is that he wants to return to the club someday in the right capacity as well. Maybe not in some kind of leadership position, but Messi will always be a brand ambassador for Barcelona. That is the crest that is always going to be connected to him, regardless if he plays 30 more years until he's playing at the age of 50 if he's playing in Argentina or Man City or Paris or wherever it is. He's always going to be a Barcelona player. So leaving the camp no in the right way was important. I think, as he mentioned, fans are actually a part of that. So it's I, I think it's interesting to see how the pandemic response, as far as the vaccine, is going to affect his way out. Yeah, I think that with that, what really not surprised me, because I've always known he's a clever man, but I think that the fact that he avoided the I'm going to be the manager role, sure. I think that's really important because, you know, the, the manager lifespan is very, very short. You can very easily get burnt out. I mean, look at Ronald Koeman, for example, you know, Barca legend um, in the eyes of the vast majority of Kules around the world that definitely watched him at the time. Obviously, there's people that were born since. But if you watch him at the time, he's a legendary player. Now that he's the manager, it's a little bit trickier at times to, to like him as much, you know. So I think that Messi would be really clever to stay clear of um, El, El Banquillo, uh, the, the, the hot seat, basically. And uh, if he came back as a sporting director or whatever else, who knows what he would do? I mean, 
these these players, Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, etc., they're really, really good as players, but that does not mean they've got the capacity to lead. They've got the capacity to be uh, an extraordinary Monchi, for example. And we always go back to Monchi, but I think that his proven record over the last 10, 15 years at Sevilla and Roma when he left um, signing players is, speaks for itself. So it's not a, a given science, but I'm, I would be more than happy for Messi to steer away from being a manager because he may not even have the personality for that, if I may say so myself. I see Mascherano more of a manager than himself, to be fair. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the fact that he wants to come back is always going to be a positive. Yep. Yeah, I agree with all those points. I don't even know what role he would fill, but I know that he should be filling a role. That's all we know. And that's all we have to think about because he still has plenty of years left in his legs as well at Barcelona or otherwise. So we're going to hit a break and then talk about the near future, which is the presidential elections. It's football time. Or for those of you who don't understand, soccer time with Fanatis. Let your Blagrana passion explode and watch Leo Messi, Antoine Griezmann, Ansu Fati, you know the names, and the rest of the Barcelona squad fight to win the Liga title. They're still in it. You can watch the matches from your favorite device, mobile, tablet, and even your TV, live and on demand. No matter where you are, you'll be able to tune in, enjoy the games with English commentary, and never miss a second of Messi's magic for $7.99 American dollars a month. Your passion never stops. And when it's football time, nothing else matters. Get a front row seat to La Liga with Fanatis. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer ballot through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Let's pivot now to talking about those presidential elections that I have begrudgingly, not begrudgingly put off, but I have willingly put off for quite a few weeks because it's both a weird... Both of us, both of us. It's a weird we talk because we're here to talk yeah. about not only what happens on the field, but also the sporting project at Barcelona. And this is just politics. And who wants to talk about politics? Those are, it's not a fun topic. So let's not go over... Us. <laughs> no. So let's go over the preliminary stuff that it has nothing to do with opinion. And you're going to hear very little opinion. We're just going to basically tell you who's where and why, basically why the theme here is why socios, who socios are and why they're important and how they could vote. And basically our conjecture and our opinion about how socios could vote. So the elections will take place on January 24th, 2021. Everyone knows that. Now, the another reason why we put I put talking about all this off for a while was because the official electoral campaign officially goes from January 15th from January 22nd. So it, it really is a small amount. It's, it's a week of 
basically running your campaign and actually running the campaign. Now, we obviously know that they are, they all have websites, they all have, they're all getting together signatures, and we all know who the candidates are. And uh, many of them, like Laporta, has basically been building a campaign over 17 years of name cachet when he was last president. Same thing with Font's been working on this product since 2013 when it came out. So it's not like the actual uh, people are just going to have to campaign in that window, but that is actually when the official electoral campaign is. The winner will serve, as we all know, for six years, unless, of course, he resigns, dies, or gets a vote of no confidence. Remember, Bartomeu did not, he resigned. He was very close to getting the vote of no confidence. He got the initial vote of no confidence, but the, the actual vote did not come. It did not even come to that. He resigned prior to actually being voted out officially by the socios. So as far as in 100 years when whether uh, on Wikipedia somebody is looking at the president, it's going to say that Bartimeo resigned and they'll have to do some more digging there. Now, there is 136 places to vote in total, 126 in the city of Barcelona and the rest of Catalonia, three out on the Balearic Islands, that's Mallorca, Athletic Baleares is the other big club out there, and by big club I mean they're in the third division, and then there's four polling stations between Valencia, one in the city, and then three between the cities of Valencia and Murcia, that's down the southeast coast, and you do find a lot of Barcelona fans there, and then there's two in the city of Madrid, and that is mainly for all those who have lived in Catalonia, and now for business or otherwise live in the city of Madrid. So main theme here is that the people of Catalonia, if you forgot that FC Barcelona is a Catalan club, these elections should remind you. That is who we're voting on the next president. It is those in Catalonia. And that is largely for those of us, especially if a lot of our listeners are related to Peñas or connected to Peñas, the Peñas of Barcelona, the Peñas of the city of Barcelona, and which I think there are 90 of those polling stations in just the city of Barcelona. And then on the outer reaches of Catalonia, those Peñas, those really are the ones that these presidents are trying to get. Not only get one Peña, but trying to get as many members of each individual Peña as possible. Now, the final point here, the, the candidates, Juan Laporta, Victor Font, those are names you know, Jordi Ferrer, as we know, his big claim to fame at this point is that he was the first signature and the one who started the vote of no confidence against Bartomeu, Tony Recha, Augusti Benedito, we keep hearing his name throughout the years, Luis Fernandez, he is, uh, we'll say the most recent candidate, but also the least likely uh, to get votes here, Emily Rousseau, Think of him as the Bartomeu legacy candidate. Unfortunately, he's trying to distance himself from that a little bit, but it's going to keep following you. And then Xavi uh, Villa Juana, he's also there. And then Jordi Roche and Juan Rosell, those are two names that you might not know and you won't know because they did not reach the required number of ballots to be candidates. The rest of the ones that I just named all had enough support from socios to get enough ballots to be official candidates. So these are actually candidates that didn't just throw their name in the hat. They also needed some kind of backing. So all the names that I mentioned, all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all eight of them did get enough backing. Now, Princess, it's been too much of me. So I'm going to give it over to you here because the name we start with and at this point now the front runner is Juan Laporta. We know he was president and he does certainly have an interesting relationship. I mean, he almost had a vote of no confidence against him, but he does certainly have an interesting relationship with the socios. For sure, for sure. This is someone who um, obviously started the Alafran Balao Poda Sansura um, 2003, and that's how he got to the presence in the first place. So he knows the process inside out. I mean, there's nothing much more I can say about Laporta than most of our listeners don't know just yet. I mean, with Laporta, you know what you get, basically. You get someone who's got a very clear style. Um, obviously, the Barca philosophy, he's the one that signed Ronaldinho, obviously, together with Sandro Roussel which then obviously was linked to Bartomeu himself. Um, so there was two branches coming out of that. But ultimately with Laporta, you get La Masia back, basically. He's going to be 
playing the right way. He's going to sign players that, you know, get Barca to play the way we, or the vast majority of us want Barca to play. Um, attacking football, playing playing the right way, association, uh, pushing forward, um, quality players, trusting La Masia first. It's just what a Barca president should be, to be honest, from the sporting perspective. Also someone who was very close friends with Johan Cruyff. And obviously, as a result, unfortunately, obviously Johan is no longer with us, but he's got a great relationship with the whole of his family. Jordi Cruyff, uh, who we mentioned last week already, um, he seems to be aligned with Victor Fon. Victor Fon says, but obviously he's someone that John Laporta will be able to get back if he wanted, I'm sure, as well. Great relationship with all the Barca legends of the past uh, from the Dream Team era, but not just that. And this is, it hurts me to say this, but the Pep Guardiola years as well. You know, there's been a whole decade gone. Um, you've got players such as Xavi who are already coaching. You've got Puyol who's been all sorts of things, to be honest, um, football agent. Then he's been linked with the club in some some ways or another, he's rejected, etc. But you've got all of that crop of players from the 2007, 2006 era until the 2013 era that possibly could come back to the club if Laporta wanted to. So all of those relationships are, are built. Um, it is important to say this. I don't know if many people know this. If you're in Catalonia, for sure, you know this as well. A Barca election is not just about what you do on the pitch. It's not just about how many retweets you get. Uh, this is a lot of groundwork by going to the different Peñas. So the Peñas, obviously, we've got a lot of following from the United States. So imagine that condensed in the same city or around between Catalonia, between the whole of Catalonia. So Tarragona, Lleida, Girona and Barcelona itself. Um, so what the candidates have traditionally done, they've gone every single day to a different Peña and they've spoken to around two, three hundred socios in there who then... In turn, they speak to another two, three hundred, and that's how they get their votes. Obviously, we're in the middle of a local, uh, local, national, and worldwide pandemic, so that's not going to be available. But um, La Porta has been doing some socially distance. You've got to remember that um, gatherings and some Zoom meetings, etc., with Peñas across across Catalonia, which I know the other candidates are trying to do as well. But with La Porta, you know what you get, and what you get from La Porta is sporting success. But obviously, not everything, otherwise he would still be the, the president today, not everything that Laporta did when he was president was conducive to glory. Um, there were some things that were behind the scenes that a lot of sources were not happy with. Uh, there were investigations to do with this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just got really ugly and dirty at the end. Whether the sources can forgive that part because of the excellence he brought on the pitch, I'm not sure, uh, but I think that, as you said, when you introduced the Laporta topic to me, it is fairly clear John Laporta at this moment in time is the favorite. Right, and I think some of the things that went well for him the first time, we even think when he, when he came in to replace Juan Gaspar, I mean, Gaspar very much like when Bartomeu left that, I mean, we'd almost, we'd take anybody, right? We'd, we'd take anybody over who was just president. So when he came in in 2003, especially with the results for the club in the recent years prior to that, any amount of winning was going to be successful or any amount of winning was something that they were looking for. In the same way that Juan Laporte at the moment is trying to rely on the fact that, hey, financially, and it had a lot to do with success as well, financially he was able to help the club, the club recover, and that is a position that the club is in once again that they need to recover financially. That is going to be the first job. We'll talk about that at the end. That's going to be the first job that the new president's going to have to worry about. And even Laporta, uh, he knows that he can say basically whatever it is. As long as he gets elected, that's going to be different than what he might even say now. I mean, he he raced before on the promise of David Beckham. <laughs> Didn't get Beckham, but 
I mean, Ronaldinho was a, a, not only a stroke of luck, but a stroke of brilliance. And it worked out in yep. both of those ways for him. And if Ronaldinho doesn't work out, we think of the presidency of Laporta different. Because, yeah, Messi's still going to be Messi, but it's a domino effect. It's a butterfly effect, if you will, that we don't know if Ronaldinho doesn't work out if Guardiola ever does take over, right? We don't know how that works out. We don't know if Rijkaard winds up winning the Champions League with Ronaldinho or any of that. What we do know is Laporta is a strong personality. But what he did, as much as a strong personality as he is, what he did do well, you mentioned, was he listened. He listened to those around him that had something to contribute positive. As in, he listened to Cruyff. But Cruyff being a strong personality himself, somehow those two kind of meshed well. But And he, he basically took Cruyff's ideas, and instead of, as Cruyff likes to implement his ideas, we'll say with punches and almost like a boxer does, Laporta was able to do that in a very soft way. He was able to implement that over time and turn it into a business plan as a businessman he is in the same way that he listened to Guardiola. And then he most importantly listened to Chiki Bajirastain and Ferran Soriano, who have built Man City now up to what they are. So he listened to them as well when it came to and scouts around the club, when it came to player decisions. And he didn't make those decisions in the way that Bartomeu did. And so many of those worked out as well. He hit on so many players and so few misses were important too. But remember, as you said, the negative part of Laporta is that he did run in 2015, and he lost to Bartomeu's 54.63% of the votes. His project now, Astimem at Barca, is almost against the Bartomeu thing, and he's hoping that enough socios has flipped. And that's, again, bringing us back to the biggest question about the election. How will the older socios vote? Both Laporta and Font, as you mentioned, have been trying to strike up relationships with those Peñas. Font's been doing it now for years. He's been trying to visit those Peñas. And Laporta, because of his name recognition, he only needed three months to pop up and remind people who Juan Laporta was. Now, other important points here. The name Senator Rosell is being thrown around uh, as a name that both matters and doesn't matter. Because another reminder here is that if you think Laporta and Font are that different, that's, I think, the, the almost the issues I find with people arguing about these two candidates. They're so, so similar. They both are Catalan businessmen, and the circles of Catalan elites it's not that large of a number of people. As much as there are quite a few thousands and million of people in Catalonia, the number of those Catalan business elites are not that many. And so I want, uh, Senator Rosell still exists, his name, even after prison, still exists in those circles. So I do wonder as how socios view those kinds of relationships, because when you're talking about two Catalan businessmen, you're talking about two men with a lot in common, right? So they both, when they, uh, both Laporta and Font are running on Obviously, they're speaking of La Masia. Both of them have on their websites the first thing they mention in the headline, where after it says, here's their name, here's the name of their project, and we want to bring back La Masia to its former glory. And I think any candidate would be smart to do that and try to push that ideal because they're basically trying to get back to what, the no matter what, every every one of these candidates should have the campaign slogan, Mescaun Club, because that's what they're trying to get back to. They're trying to redefine Mescaun Club and, and say that Bartomeu wasn't doing that. So here's what Barcelona is, and here's what I want it to be in the future. Yes, no, I, I can't disagree with that at all. Um, I think that Laporta is someone who the Saucis, as you mentioned, I don't want to repeat what you said, is it, whether the, the Saucis can flip the ball from the last time or they still don't like him very much. We'll see. Yeah, and now Fonts, uh, moving over to his project, it's the C. Al Futur project. He is a successful businessman that heads a group that got their money in the telecommunication, uh, telecommunications sector. There we go, we got there. Uh, and he always says the right things. That's both the things that people say positive about him and the negative about him. He has said that he has an ambition to put UNICEF back on the jersey. There are ambitions to once again focus on La Masia. So when it comes to the UNICEF and the that kind of thing, is it's a very lofty goal. 
But the reality is that, as we've been saying, the big key here and the biggest job for any presidential candidate is how to get Barcelona out of the overwhelming debt that they are in. And then, as we said, part two is going to be how Messi will leave the club and when. If a president comes in in the first seven months, they kind of can't figure out how to get out of that debt in a proper way or at least exhibit to the socios and voting members the plan, the long, because that's what it is. It's going to be a long-term plan to get out of debt and financially rebuild Barcelona, including the stadium. So uh, that's going to be a long-term plan to sell that to the socios as well as what's going to happen with Messi, whether, and not a matter of when he leaves the club, because that could be over the summer, that could be next year, but how he leaves the club. And I think any presidential candidate will try to do that the right way. And then part three of that is going to be trophies. Because if Barcelona this year, as expected, don't get any trophies, that's going to, that's not going to lay at the feet of the new president. But if next season there are no trophies to speak of and Barcelona are still fighting for a Champions League spot or a Europa League spot, that new president is already going to be under pressure. Because, I mean, socios can be patient, but at other times, socios can be not patient. There can be a lack of patience. So you'll, we'll have to see what happens with trophies and how those how those lead from the other two major issues here. Yes, but the socios have seen Barca lose for many, many seasons. True. Which is what the, the, the people that, you know, joined Twitter yesterday morning, they haven't <laughs> seen that. Right. You know? So it is really, really important to know that the socios are between 60, 70, and 80-year-olds in the vast majority of them. And the ones that are not, they are ones that are in their 40s, 50s, or 30s even. There's not many people that are sources that are around the 30s, to be honest. But they are the sons or grandsons of someone who was a sossi throughout their lives. Uh, there is a huge waiting list to become a sossi. So if you are a sossi today, you've either been paying and waiting for seven years so that the waiting list got to you, or you go Barca in your blood throughout your grandparents, you know? So these are people who understand Barca really, really well, and they know that Barca have not always won. So I think that if, if the, if the sources really see that something is being built for the future, they're patient and they can be patient. And I think that within, I would say one, two, even three years of not winning, I'm not saying losing, you know, I'm saying not winning. So maybe being second in La Liga or being third in La Liga and then maybe getting a Copa del Rey here and there. I think the sources would be able to take that with that in mind is whether they want to choose Laporta as I said before I'm not going to repeat what I said or they choose Victor Fon I think Victor Fon is someone who is the newbie is someone who seems to know what to do someone who seems to have studied uh, the Massa Social the, 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 the electorate that he's going to have someone who knows the club really well someone who is very methodical someone who is very business-like very professional um, someone who himself has already said that he doesn't really know more about football than all of these greats from La Masia and all of the ways that, that Barca had in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. So that's really clever and that's really, really important as well. Now, there are several people that have aligned themselves with Victor Fon that are really influential. For example, Antoni Bassas. Antoni yeah, Bassas that's his, so that's his number two long-term journalist, yeah. Exactly. So Antoni Bassas has been in TV3, which is the national Catalan media, uh, not, you know, that's your radio, that's your TV, that's everything. And also Catalunya Radio. Um, he has been there for many, many years. He's incredibly influential. And if you go to the backing of Antoni Bassas, then there's people who have been listening to Antoni Bassas for 30 years. Yeah. You know, I grew up listening to him. Uh, it's like having, I don't know, you said Maria Puyal, who is the one that, you know, has been radiating Barca for 40 years, retired a couple of years back. Um, still the show that I listen to. So, when I watch Barca, I don't listen to be in sport. I always connect 
through La Transmission d'Ampuyal and there's many people that did this with Luis Canut, um, Anthony Bassas, and many others like that, um, even Mingueya in the latest years. So having someone of that experience, having someone who's never been involved with any politics of the club, but someone who's been following the club so closely, again, has so many good relationships, not just within the club, but also within the media. And that's really, really important. And that's one of the ways that, you know, if things turn ugly, if you've got someone with you of that much weight within the media, and the media are not going to hit you that hard. So I think that is really, really important to, to mention as well. And I'm, not, I'm going to sort of stop there, but there's a lot of people like Anthony Bassas that are gearing up between, you know, behind um, font. They believe in his ideas and they think he's the right man. But I think that ultimately it comes down to más vale malo conocido que bueno por conocer, which in English is something like better the devil you know, you know? So yeah. we know Laporta is not perfect. We know Laporta has brought excellence to the club. We do not know if Laporta can do it again with a club that doesn't have the fans that Barca used to have and also doesn't have a crop of Busquets, Pedro, Iniesta coming through, someone in, in the club that is young, such as Xavi, Puyol. Um, you know, you don't have that. Piqué, arguably, coming back as well. You don't have those players there now. Uh, you've got obviously different players that could be as good or better, maybe, possibly not, but, you know, we can only hope. So if you are going to go for someone that, you know, can give you that, then you vote Laporta. If you think someone can come with new ideas, freshness, new philosophy, someone who can be influential, someone who could be able to handle the ins and outs of, of managing an enterprise, because really it is an enterprise of Barca's caliber, then you may risk it a little bit and go with font. But remember that these sources that are voting this time round voted Laporta in 17 years ago. In other words, they voted a newbie in 17 years ago and haven't done this since. Right. So that's why I think Juan Laporta is the favorite now. But I think that if someone else is going to have a choice or going to have a chance, it's going to be Victor Font. And just the last point, none of the other candidates matter because none of the other candidates are going to win. So I think that any one of the other candidates, whatever they could do is take votes away from any of the other candidates. And I don't think anyone's taking votes away from Laporta. So I think that if Laporta is one of the candidates that gets through, he's going to get his votes. That could be 40%, that could be 50%, that could be 57%. I've got no idea. But no one that wants to vote Laporta is going to be voting Freysia or voting for the, the pizza guy and the one with the tattoos and all that nonsense. They're not. So if anyone else comes that is not Laporta and, and, and sort of makes the cut, they're going to be taking votes away from each other. And that's what Victor Fon does not need. Victor Fon needs a two-horse race to have any chance, in my eyes. Yeah, I was actually, I was going to mention that uh, Rousseau, he's been, as we, as I said before, been called the Bartomeu legacy candidate, and he is not going to win, but I would not be surprised if there is a group of socios that is still connected to Bartomeu, as I mentioned, with the Catalan elites and those businesses running in, in small conjunction with one another. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up with 15 to 20% of the vote, which goes to your point that that means that he is taking votes against, uh, away from someone else. So again, Rousseau, doesn't have a chance to win, but I do think he could actually still keep a voting block, which winds up 
almost deciding the election between the other two. Now, the other point I want to make very clear, if you want to go back to here, let's talk about Xavi. We talked about that last week. The more I thought about it, even re-listening to what we talked about last week as I edited the audio, then I edited the video, so I got to listen to us a bunch. And we said that he could be the key, and that was in the news cycle last week. Uh, obviously, he was really important to Font, so it could have... Honestly, it could have hurt Font to almost lose the backing of Xavi just for him and Xavi basically opening up that he would support Laporta or Font. He, he likes them both it, and basically keeping his options open. Again, we talked about that last week, but I'm actually, having gone over what we've discussed today, I'm not actually sure that Xavi would be the, the end-all and be-all. I, I think that Laporta and Font, socios are educated enough to understand their candidates just beyond the promise of Xavi just beyond one simple thing. And and I think the point that we make about Font is that he has been making those relationships with Peñas for seven years now. So as, as kind of what we've been saying that you and I have talked off mic too, that we both would be fine with Laporta or Font because as I've said, they're so similar in what they're going to try to do. And what we've seen is basically it boils down to Font's plan and what he's shown as his plan as a newbie because as a newbie you don't run as Victor Font you run on your plan and that's what Victor Font has done and Laporta doesn't have to do that because we know him so he runs on Laporta so I trust Laporta enough as Barca president once again because I think with what he did the first time even the simple things is the answers he's it's not even going back to the past he's also answered proper questions about looking at the Goldman Sachs loan and what the club is financially going to worry about. So he is saying the right things about how he's going to work at, worry about the finances of the club, that Laporta. So he showed me that he does have the acumen to be trusted in this situation. And I've looked at Font's plan and the things that he said, even though, yes, some of it is very, very ambitious when it comes to shirt sponsors. It almost seems to the point of being naive. But you look at his business acumen and what he has tried to build and even the way that he's financially setting it up, that we have to understand that it costs a lot to be president of Barcelona because of the money that you have to put forward from the start. And it's not actually just coming from Victor Font. He doesn't have the individual funds of that. He's actually basically putting the neck of his company on the line. And the entire board of his company has signed off on this plan. So again, it's not just the financial backing of Font in this situation. And so that's why you almost do trust Font that he's t done his financial homework as well. And to me, that is what I wanted both candidates to try to say. And then the rest of it is just the nice words about La Masia and Mesquion Club and Messi and Xavi and the other legends and the things that are going to make the global headlines and the things that are going to get picked up by Twitter is when you mention Xavi's name and Puyol's name and Messi's name. But yeah, the Goldman Sachs things aren't necessarily going to make global headlines, but that is where the future of this club, in the short term at least, truly lie. And I mean, for me, yeah, I'm not picking one or the other because I truly trust that both have very, very similar plans and both may be, may be very, very similar presidents as well. So if we're arguing about whether Eric Garcia comes in January or comes in the summer, that's a pointless uh, and something that the socios aren't basing their vote on. So don't worry about any of those kind of things. So, Frances, you want to have a last word on this? I just want to mention something we haven't. Um, I think that we've covered everything we could cover today, really, because, <laughs> yeah. to be honest, we haven't really heard... We heard bits, but we haven't really heard a cohesive plan. Like, all right, if I get elected, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I don't think we've seen that just yet. All we're getting is a little snippets. Um, so I'm just waiting. If I was uh, a associate, which unfortunately I'm not, because I moved away from Barcelona, and you know I can't go back and do all the you know, in, in, in situ sort of signatures that, that is needed to be associated. I sort of regret doing that. Anyway, I don't want to digress. Is the fact that when Laporta was president, Barca had a lot of respect from the Spanish Federation. And I do not know if Victor Font will be able to get that. 
Um, in other words, all this VAR nonsense that is happening that, you know, it could be human mistakes, but they always seem to go to those guys in white that from the Spanish capital, whatever the, the, that name is. That didn't happen with Laporta, did it? Um, he was very influential. He was very good friends with uh, Jose Maria Villar and everyone at the Federación Española de Football. So I think that that is a point in his favor as well. I think people at the Saucis, you know, people in general, unfortunately at this moment don't really matter because the ones that have the, say, the, the voice uh, and the decision are the Saucis themselves. I think they remember that out of the 120 or, 30, or 130, I lose count now, of years that Barca has been going, the, the era in which we were the most respected by the Spanish Federation and the referees, because that's what really matters um, as well, was during the Laporta years. So I think that even though that hasn't really been mentioned anywhere that I've seen, I think that's really important and that could be the decisive factor. I mean, who do you want to go and complain to Jose Maria Villar and the refereeing committee? Is it going to be Joan Laporta or Victor Fon? You know, and especially, I know we don't look at those guys, but Florentino Perez has been doing the job for 20, 25 years now. I think most people don't even know who the president before Florentino Perez was. And they've got stability and not just, you know, and, and they, they got their ups and downs and, you know, Barca have got their ups and downs too. I think someone described it as yin and yang when Barca are up, Madrid are down and, and vice versa. So, but Florentino always has his hand touching and he's, he's always got that influence going. And I think Joao Laporta had that as well. And I know he's little, and you could argue that it was a, a, just a publicity stand that cost him 40,000 euros. But the fact that Laporta had the cheek to you know, dress up that building next to the Bernabeu with his face, yeah. um, he didn't do it in Catalan, which I think he would have gone the extra mile and written in <laughs> Catalan in the Spanish capital, but he, he you know, fell short of that. Um, that's just something that the, the sausage really like, that cheekiness, that dare I say, I am more daring than the others. I, I can do this and you know, I can do it because I can. And that is something that Laporta has always had. He's really charismatic. I can say now he's more charismatic than Victor Fon will ever be. But then again, what do you want? Do you want someone like that? Or do you want someone that is ready to take more of a step back and get the La Masia legends to the talking? I'm, I'm not sure what I would vote if I was a saucy, which unfortunately I'm not. I'm not sure who I would vote today, but I know it would be the Font or Laporta, but none of the others. Yep. So yeah, I I hope our listeners understand that yeah we don't we're not going to take sides. We just are telling you who the front runners are, and we both have said in all of our criticisms of Bartomeu that you kind of I think most of our listeners understand where you and I stand on what we hope the future of the club is. So I think that's pretty simple to understand. Now as we move on from the presidential elections, I want again a reminder that for the rest of this season they're gonna the incoming president will have just one week to figure things out, and that's the week where we'll most likely find out just how bad things are, more than we're gonna find out who's coming to the club in January. Again, don't expect any signings or any players in January, and don't expect this a referendum, if you will. I, I know that's a loaded word, but don't expect any uh, referendum on this president until the summertime when they actually get to make decisions. And the only other thing that could potentially happen is we've heard Pouge and maybe Alanya going out on loan. The club wants to extend Pouge's contract until 2023, which is a good idea. And I think that should be anything that happens in January, any business or any, I don't think you're going to see any more pay raises because they all take pay reductions based on the salary. So any business that is even done, any pipeline dream of selling continue in January, it's all kind of a little bit of nonsense. The only thing that's going to happen is uh, two skets would wind up extending or 
putting forth those clauses in these players' contracts already that extend their contracts further years, basically tying them down to a time for the new president to be able to deal with each and every one of those individual players. So that's what I would say. Like, don't expect anything. That's just the way it's going to be. And our expectations for the seasons have been what they have. So where we are going to end this show, one final question for Frances as we head our way out. Ion, our Patreon, asks for you and... It's an inside joke for the ones, our long-term listeners, but I think your brother played at La Masia back in the day, and, and you know it well. So Ayan asks, what are, what is, and I'll just say one, what is one common misconception that people have that you see about La Masia? That every player makes it. You that really think that's a common good. misconception? No, I, I think that there's a pretty good understanding that that not every player is going to, to make it. Or I guess, I guess the... Okay, not to not to over overrun you, but I think that the the translation of that would be that even less players make it than you think. Yeah, yeah, no. The the, the reason the, the way I was saying is that a lot of people think that just because you've gone through La Masia, you will be good at Barca. Yeah. And I think that we have been spoiled with um, your Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, Amor, Guardiola throughout the years, Busquets, and not every player that goes through La Masia can play at Barca. The fact that you were the best player in the cadete, juveniles, Barça B, that does not mean you can play at Barça. That doesn't mean that you're good enough for even Primera División. You know, like there's people trying to always hit the, the manager over the head with the, oh, Ricky Puch is not playing, or, oh, Grimaldo was sold, or, oh, uh, what happened with Guy Azulín, for example, which most people wouldn't remember, or, oh, Xavi Simmons, he's got, he's, his hair is so curly, he has to play for Barça be a star. No, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. It does not work like that. Not every player who goes on Instagram and puts photos of himself can play for Barca. Right. And I think that the vast majority of people think that just because you went through La Masia, that you will be a professional player. I think the vast majority of players who make it to Barca B would be incredibly fortunate. You know, if in any Barca B of any year, if two players make it to the first division, that's a bonus. I think if one player of Barca B makes it to the Barca first team and becomes a regular every five years, I think we need to be happy with that. You know, I think that, and, and that's it. And I don't know if that's a misconception. I don't know if that's me imagining things. It probably is. It happens all the time. But just because you got Barca DNA, whatever that means, that doesn't mean you can be a great player. And, the, and another thing, I know this is not a newsflash, but newsflash, in a football team, there's only 11 spots. All right? And the keeper at Barca is Ter Stegen. There's someone called Messi that plays all the time until he decides to go. And then there's, in, there's nine more spots. Right. They cannot all be given to your Malcolms that everyone's like, oh, Malcolm has to play all the time. Or they cannot given to your Dennis, Dennis Suarez, was his name? Yeah. Uh, he's now a Celta. Dennis, oh, yeah, he's great. He, he, why is Dennis not playing? Then Rafinha has to play. Now Ricky Puch has to play. And I was like, come on. No, there's 11 spots. There's players that need to play. Like, for example, I remember Christian Tello coming through. Christian Tello was very, very good. Yes, he he's still good. Every up yeah, still good. Yeah, gave a lot of things that the vast majority of Barca La Masia products could not give you. But Christian Tello didn't make it. Bojan Kerkic, and we spoke about him last week, I think it was, um, scored an incredible amount of goals. But he never, he, he was good for the first season or two, but he never really established himself. So not every player coming through La Masia can make it, I think is the biggest misconception. 
Yeah, I mean, I even look, I again, I, I look at the Juvenil A's and, and Barca B, that only 40% of players that have been in the academy from the age of 10 to 16 even make Barca B. So there's even, every level you get up, it's it just a smaller and smaller percentage. Uh, and so many players who join in, in the, the, the Benjamin A level at the age of 10, mo- a lot of them don't even wind up becoming professional players, uh, it, which is pretty, it, you, it sounds incredible, but the whole point of La Masia uh, as well as being this, you know, training facility for future football is sure, but they also get an education. And that education part, and this is another thing going all the way back to the socios and voting, the fact that these kids get an education and wind up not throwing, I, I think to me that's one of the most important things, that when these players who are 14 years old and they didn't grow the way that you would expect them to or they, they wind up having just stunted in some of their abilities and they're 14 years old and now they don't look like a professional, that way that these kids that have missed regular schooling and have been in the academy in that academic program, these kids are not thrown out on the street. Now, we have seen in La Masia that there are players who are working on their degrees to try to get even their regular, what would be secondary schooling, but their high school degrees, and so that they can go out no matter what. If football doesn't work out, because as we said, for the the largest majority, 99% of all kids in Europe that are playing in academies won't be professionals. So there, there can, and that's not just Barcelona has 11 spots on the field. That's every team has just 11 spots in the, on the field. So you're talking about so, so, so many players at, at the age of 12 to 13 to 14 that are in any different, whether in they're in Dom or whether in they're in Girona's academy, mm-hmm. wherever it may be. They don't have to just be in La Masia, right? That in any of these academies, a lot of them are going to grow up to be working in telecommunications or for font or working in wherever it may be or working on the docks, wherever it may be, that they're going to grow up doing something else. And so getting their education and not throwing these kids out on the street is, to me, the most important thing. There's a callousness and a cruelty to football and a business to football when it comes to teenagers, which is really sad, where uh, obviously agents exploit it in such a way. Uh, that's why when, when I even do... As you saw last week, here's a little hit promotion. I did my, as I do every six months, my La Masia five names you should know. And when I do those, I tend to only pick the players that are 16, 17, 18, 19 years old in Juvenile Bay or Juvenile A or Barca B because they've now, they're now old enough to sign a professional contract. So if they're, if they're at the age of 16, a really, really good player, even if they don't make it at Barca, the idea is going to be that any of the names that I give you will be professional footballers down the road because they're old enough to sign professional contracts. That's why I don't, if I see a, a La Masia video about a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, I, I, I don't worry about that. I mean, I, yeah, you can mm-hmm. say the name, sure, because they're setting history in Barcelona or setting history in the academy by outscoring De La Fueu and, and Messi and the, you know what I mean. They're, they're 12-year-olds that are doing these incredible things the age of 12, but you stick it there. You say, as a 12-year-old, he's doing this incredible thing at 12, but that's why I don't worry about it until they're players that are showed that they will be professionals because I, other than that, now I'm, I'm, I'm showing you, I'm wasting my time showing you about a kid that's going to wind up being a chef in a really nice Catalan restaurant in five years. So what's the point of doing that? Mm-hmm. No, no, totally, totally agree. I think that, that video, I'm not going to say anything about the video, just that it was really good, very informative even for me. So that that was awesome. And I really strongly recommend everyone listening to this podcast go to the YouTube channel and watches it. It was really informative. And to be honest, which is what I did, I watched this one and your previous one and your previous one again. And uh, I think you're getting it right, Dan. Well, yeah, I think I've only gotten one wrong. One player, uh, it was Alejandro Marquez, was the one player that he wound up being swapped 
because Barcelona needed money. So he, he was swapped over in the summertime. That was the one player that's left Barcelona. So I've been I've been pretty good, but obviously the first one I take is going to be when Ricky Puj, you know, gets sold. Or, but okay, people are no longer listening, Frances. So let's end the show on that <laughs> note. So we want to thank you, the listeners. This was... I think for some, it was a boring show talking about the presidency and all that because we didn't really talk about football. But within less than 24 hours, Barcelona are back at it. Messi has an ankle injury. He's recovering. So he will be. We'll have to wait a few more days for him. Is he though? What? Nursing an injury? Is he? I don't know. The amount of hits that he's taken. (laughs) He's taken so many hits to the the ankles and the knees over the last 15 years. Yeah, so have I. He's he's (laughs) resting in Argentina with his family. Come on. He's been given a extended holiday. And listen, I he deserves one. He we always agree. No, we always that, argue that he saying. plays. Why is he playing ninety minutes every week? We always argue that. So if the guy wants to take a rest, you know, yeah. it's hard to convince him to take it. one. Yeah, so. sorry, sorry guys. We got some rules for the team. I got some rules for Messi. He's saying Rosario with his family. Let him be. He could yeah. have said that. Everyone knows what's happening anyway. Yeah, I don't think the rest of the locker room is too upset. But we, unfortunately, are not messy, so we don't go on vacation. So we will be back next week as we were this week as we were the prior week. So we do want to wish everyone a happy new year because that is the next thing on the docket other than another match. So we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Barcelona Podcast. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at the D13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dive discussions, all that. Patreon, tbpod dot link backslash patreon thank you to our patrons always for continuing to help us make these shows and if you're watching on youtube again thanks for joining us on the video edition of this but for all those who listen to audio which we know is our, our bigger number we always appreciate you putting us in your ears you can find special content though on the youtube channel at the barcelona podcast so check us out there hit that subscription button and as always thanks for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon before the barca forza Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.